I'm going to read it to you all. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that, the name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. O Father, give us understanding that we might understand the Scriptures. Cause your word to be blessed by your Holy Spirit through your servant to your people. And that it would glorify you that you would be praised. In Christ's name, amen. Now this passage which I've just read, and particularly the classic passage of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, a hymn, yea, a Pauline hymn, sung to the praise and glory of God. There are two parts to this mini-series and this morning, the first part is, he humbled himself. And then next time we will consider how we are to humble ourselves. He humbled himself. Jesus is God. Contrary to the popular belief and even belief systems of world religions and cults in the world. Jesus is God. Verse 6, who being in the form of God, form, what it is in and of itself, its essential nature, such as in John 1, 1 through 4 and 14. John 1, 1 through 4. A very familiar passage in what is called the prologue of the Gospel of John. It says, verses 1 through 4, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, 
this which is called the word, the second person of the Blessed Trinity as we identify him theologically, was with God, i.e. the Father, and was God. And was involved in creating the world, the Father, Son, by the Holy Spirit. And then verse 14 is the bottom line as to pinpointing the exact identity of the Word. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The only begotten, the one who was, who flowed from the Father, as it were, or who was begotten, meaning given the nature of man as the God-man is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Robbery. That, uh, when you steal something, that's a form of robbery. But it has come to mean something that is grasped or held on to. Meaning that Christ did not hold on, he did not hold on to the honor and the privileges that are accrued to his being God. He didn't hold on to them, he relinquished them. He let them go. Notice this one who thought it not robbery to be equal to God was in form, in his nature, God. Equal in every respect to the Father. Let's look at John 10, 33-38 this time. John 10, 33-38. The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not. They were about to stone Jesus. And you will see why. But for blasphemy. That's a sin deserving of death, the death penalty, according to the Mosaic law. And because that thou being a man, makest thyself God. So it was very plain to God's covenant people, the Israelites, the Hebrews, the Jews, that what Jesus was saying was that he is God. He didn't mince his words. He said it. It goes on, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, Ye are gods? He's quoting the Bible in the Old Testament. If ye call them gods, unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, Say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified. That's himself now. He is set apart by the Father for a task. He is the Christ, the anointed of God. And sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the Son of God. Look at the inconsistency here. And then he goes on. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. And obviously, he had been doing miracles and signs and wonders. And giving God all the credit, God the Father, all the credit for them. But he was doing them, and they attest to him. And then, of course, the Father himself attests these works of the Father. Though you believe me not, believe the works that I, that he may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. And this was very, very 
troubling to the unbelieving mind, even in the nation of Israel. But this is again to establish his godhood. Going to verse 7 of Philippians chapter 2, so turning back to our text. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. It says he made himself of no reputation. In the Greek, it is the word kenosis that is rendered he emptied himself. He emptied himself. Self-emptying himself and becoming man. But he did not, as it were, empty himself of Godhood. That's not what happened, contrary to popular erroneous beliefs. But rather, Jesus set aside his heavenly glory for a time, as he said in John 17, 5, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with the glory, with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So he shared heavenly glory with the Father, as we also heard earlier in John. He set aside his heavenly authority, submitting himself to the will of his Father, and submitting himself to the direction of the Holy Spirit. In John 5.30, I can of myself, mine own self, do nothing. As I hear, I judge, my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of my Father, which has sent me. Some of these verses I'm just going to read through and focus on the larger. In 2 Corinthians 8.9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Also, he said of himself in his public ministry, when he didn't have a place where to rest, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. His earthly parents, even at the very get-go of his life on this planet, couldn't afford a room at the end, or rather, couldn't find room. And, of course, he was born in a manger, in a stable, outside. He set aside his relationship with his father. It says in Matthew 27, 46, and I'll turn to it because this one, you really need to focus on this and absorb what he is saying. <clears throat> and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Again, this is how he emptied himself, even of his favored position in relationship to the one he loved the most, whose, whose weak slate, plain and simple, in verse 7 of Philippians chapter 2, we will march back to it. God's truth keeps marching on. And this 
truth more, more particularly, which is the cornerstone of the faith. And took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Jesus became more than God in a human body. He had all the essential attributes of a man, and yet without what? Sin. In Galatians 4, 4 through 5, God's appointed time was come. God says, and as we know, our Lord fulfilled God's word, not having committed a sinful act. To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons, because it was necessary. That is an oblation of supreme acceptance by a holy God. And that he did. In another place in Hebrews 4, 15. Hebrews 4, 15. For we have not a high priest. Jesus was, yes, a high priest. As he was also our prophet to teach us and our king to rule of us over us. He was our priest to mediate for us with a sacrifice of the highest degree, even himself. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities or our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. It's always been a matter of question whether it's the Apostle Paul or some other writer. The truth nevertheless rings true. The commentary of Hebrews is the commentary on the priesthood and sacrifice of Christ. That is the basis for our acceptance with the Holy God. Next, Jesus humbled himself. This is now entering into his sacrificial work that he is to offer up to God. Back at Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. And being found in fashion or in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He did not demand his human rights of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. No. No, he didn't. Instead, he allowed himself to be subject to others. As the slave of his father, he became a slave in turn to his people. But in order to fulfill that role, he became a slave to all. He said of himself, I came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to do that by becoming a ransom for many. He suffered and allowed himself even to be persecuted without a quibble. Even finally to be sent to the cross of Calvary or Golgotha where he suffered and finally expired. It says to the question, what dost thou understand by the word suffered? Answer, that all the time he lived on earth, but especially at the end of his life, he bore in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race in order 
that by his passion, as the only atoning sacrifice, he might redeem our body and soul from everlasting damnation and obtain for us the grace of God, righteousness, and eternal life. So when you read, for example, the account of Jesus' life and you see how he went through this life and was that lowly and humble servant who was in spirit and heart, meek and lowly in heart, who said to come to him where you may find rest to your souls. Keep in mind what he had to endure in order to provide that for his people. In Isaiah 53, 7 and 8, there is an apt description of his God. Changes the heart. Blows in like the sovereign wind of new life. So in Isaiah 53, 7 and 8, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? He had no son, no, no heir. For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. Here you have it. And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Said the angel to his adopted father, Joseph. And it goes on in our passage in verse 8 of Philippians 2. And became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Imagine that his life ended in such ignominy and dishonor and shame. For the death of the cross was the most shameful form, the most humiliating kind of execution known to mankind to this day. Because it is displaying one, placarding one before the world, naked and open to the world as if he was himself a sinner. Far from it. For he was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's why he went through that. Out of the sheer love of God, out of his inexpressible, eternal, unchangeable, sacrificial love that we can never and will never fathom, even in glory, we will be pondering this forever and ever as we see the wounds that, or the remnants of the wounds that are left on his body, the scars, the marks of his love. And it goes on. Jesus, Heavenly Father, exalted him in verse 9 of Philippians 2, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. Let me not leave that out. Highly as high as one could be exalted to the highest heaven where he came from and given him a name which is above every name. You know how men want rep a reputation that is exalted among their fellow men? Of course, when they do that, it's not exalted before God, obviously, because God says that Jesus' name will be exalted above all. 
his resurrection after three days, showing how he was exalted. In Acts 5, 30-31, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. And in the Old Testament, to be hanged on a tree was, was also humiliating because the enemies of Israel that were hung on the tree were left there. They weren't taken down and buried as our Lord was, but they were left there. And while that didn't happen to our Lord, yet the same humiliation and shame accompanied his death, as if he was like an enemy of God that was put to death and left for the vultures to consume. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And Israel spoken here, of course, is first national Israel, but ultimately it will be encompassing of all of those who are part of the new Israel of God, meaning all true believers, after the heart and profession of Abraham, who was called the father of believers. And his ascension after 40 days, Acts 2, 23 through, I'm sorry, 2, 32 and 33. Acts 2, 32 and 33. This Jesus had God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, of the Holy Spirit, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see, and here, the right hand of the Father is a place where he exercises heavenly intercession, even right now, as we are met here, and especially as we go to pray, we are going to the throne of grace because there, Jesus at the right hand of the Father is interceding for us to the Father with his finished work through which our sinful prayers or prayers that are not perfect but are marred by sin would be purified and accepted to God on the virtue of his, of his blood and righteousness. In Hebrews 7, 25 and 26, Hebrews 7, 25 and 26, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. He is still at work. He is still interceding. And how? By his word and by his Holy Spirit who works in us mightily to conform us to his glorious and holy image. We can go anytime in prayer to our Father through our mediator, Jesus Christ. As, he, or as God says in Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore now come boldly unto the throne of grace, where we may obtain mercy, and find grace to help in time of need. And when, when is that? Only when we have a need? All the time. Because we are in 
continual need, let me tell you. We know that especially as we get older and as our body starts to weaken and as we take on infirmities and sicknesses and the like, as even as I pray for some that are in our congregation and outside. The outward man perishes, but thank God that he sustains us as long as he does for his service. Why do you think we are kept in this life? Just simply to use this life for our own benefit and pleasure and not for his glory, not for the glory of the Father, whose we are and whom we serve? Of course, that's the reason why. And though our outward man perishes, our, our inner man is renewed day by day. That very renewal inwardly, that very being sustained in, in, in what really, can I say, counts the most, and that is the you, the, 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 the you in, inside you, where the Spirit dwells, where the Lord Jesus dwells, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Indeed, that, especially that, is of God. As we bear witness, as we bore witness of brethren who've passed, and especially those who, who lingered in their passing over months and years, and how they were steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, even in worship, even in the service of Christ to family and to kin and, and, and to friends and to brethren. There was never, there was never a, a, a miss. Uh, there, was, there was never a miss in the step. It was, it was like a soldier marching onto battle. You want that? I do believe we all desire that. But it begins with our Lord. It begins with our calling him Lord. And lastly of all, God's people will call him by his new name, if you will, Lord. That at the name of Jesus, this is back in Philippians 2, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The name Jesus, by the way, which means what? Like Joshua, Savior, was given to him, bestowed at his birth, at his ascension. The name given to him is Lord. Now, that's not a new name, but it's a name that is now replete with meaning, that has with it experience. He is living up to that title and, yea, that name in a way that he never was yet able to until the cross and the resurrection and then his return to glory. And all creatures will confess him as Lord because he is the owner of everything, he is the master of all, and all will bow their knee to him in heaven and earth and even under the earth in hell. To confess, though, is to acknowledge or affirm like the word amen. And there will be those, of course, that will do so contrary to their previous practice of not bowing their knee and not confessing him as Lord. Perhaps even as we considered in our Heidelberg Catechism meditation prior to worship, swearing by that name unbiblically. But that's all going to change in that great day. And it will be because Jesus Christ is Lord. And he is Lord to the glory of 
God the Father. That is the main purpose. Christ came and lived and died and rose again and ascended and now intercedes in our behalf in heaven at the Father's right hand. Let me close by reading John 17, 1 through 4. Most apt scripture by which to summarize what we have heard thus far in this sermon. And this is our Lord's high priestly prayer, which I believe he prayed at some point before his death, obviously, but probably in the Garden of Gethsemane. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee as thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal that they might know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Amen. An application. Are you thankful that God came to to earth to save you and me from our sins? Because that's what it took. That's what happened. That's who is the one that did it. And if Jesus Christ is your Lord, as I know he is mine, will you bow to him and to the Father in worship, even now as we pray? And in prayer, confess that he is Lord. Yes, your Lord. Yes, my Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, how we are thankful for your having sent your only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. For this is the love of God manifested, that God sent his only begotten Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And through him we have life. As Lord, he is God. And he is eternal life incarnate. And we are blessed. And we trade where we are for nothing else. Certainly nothing that this world has to offer. Because there is nothing in this world that compares. And so we thank you and praise you and confess you, Lord Jesus, as our Lord, and bow our knee in thankful and humble praise to you, our God. In Jesus' name, amen.